Um, so my wife bought me some jeans recently, and I really like them. They're stretchy. <laughs> I, I have fallen in love with stretchy pants. I'm never going back. Ladies, man, with your, uh, what do you call them, leggings? I'm jealous. So I don't think I'll ever get to leggings, you know, but I love stretchy pants, never going back. So it reminds me of Nacho Libre, right? <laughs> for fun, on our, uh, for some um, training with our students when we go to Mexico City, we watch Nacho Libre. <laughs> it's good stuff. Well, good morning, Melanie Park Church. In case we haven't met yet, my name is Bruce. I'm the youth pastor here. They typically keep me locked up downstairs on Sunday mornings. Um, that's why I love it. I love it down there. I get to work with these incredible students, of course. And so that's my, that's my passion. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a four-part series titled The Hospital for the Hurting. And Todd did a great job of opening us up with the Great Commission, right? And then he showed us in the Word how desperately we still need Jesus. And then last Sunday, Brian shared a gospel with us, the good news that Jesus came to reconcile us back to God, right? And it's in Christ that we're healed. What? With, with that right relationship with God. So let us never, ever get over the gospel. And this morning, we'll look at God's word together. We'll hear some stories, watch some videos, and hopefully be encouraged to go to the lost and hurting as we consider what it means to be a hospital for the hurting. The title of my sermon is Going to the Lost and Hurting. Let's pray, and then I'd like to start with a story. God, we're grateful for a chance to, to be here um, and to, God, dive into your word. God, would you um, speak through me, help me to uh, deliver this word, and for your glory and for your honor. And God, help us to hear your word, understand your word, and then think about how we might apply and go and apply your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so I want to start with a story. Uh, my wife and I were blessed for a honeymoon to go to Hawaii for, uh, for our honeymoon. And um, we're adventurous type, and so for this trip, we're going to the island of Kauai. It's kind of the adventure island, I guess. And so my wife and I, during one of our days, we planned an eight-mile hike. To, um, it's a round trip, eight-mile hike, to see this 400-foot waterfall. That was our day. That was our planned day. It was going to take all day. And so I'm packing up, getting ready to go on this hike, and I'm packing um, rain gear. I'm packing flashlights, headlamps, extra lights, a little extra food. Bruce likes to eat a little extra food. And, um, and so, and Stephanie, as I'm packing all this, she says, Bruce, why are you packing all that? We don't need all that, right? Um, I'm an overpacker. I've watched one too many survival shows. <laughs> I really like Bear Grylls. If I could be a, a famous celebrity, it'd be Bear Grylls. He's my man, right? Um, anyway, so I've watched one too many of those, and so we're ready. We're ready to go. We get there. We kind of got to a late start. Um, we start off on the trail. And we're hiking the Nepali coastline. It's a pretty famous coastline. It's jagged mountains drops right into the ocean. We're hiking along that, okay? And so the trail, it's, it's fairly wide, so it's not like you're right on the edge. But it's tricky enough. You know, you, know, you definitely don't want to be watching where you're going, right? And so we're hiking, 
uh, mountains here, ocean here, and we're hiking up and down and around the coastline. Beautiful hike. We get to this beach. We swim in the beach. And then we have another two miles inland to get to the waterfall. And we, we saw on our watch, we were like, man, it's going to get dark on us. And we thought, that's okay. We're ready. We got headlamps. We're ready. And so we hiked to the waterfall. 400 feet of water, it just was epic. We had to take two pictures because it was so big, this waterfall. And you could, you could just feel the force of that water, of course. It actually was quite windy. The wind coming off that actually made it chilly because of the, the water coming off of that, that height, right? And so we had a great time swimming, in, swimming in, in that waterfall. Got back to the beach, hiked out, got back to the beach. And at this point, we have two more miles to go along this rugged trail, coastline trail, mountains, ocean. And it's already getting dark. So I just kind of look at Stephanie, throw the headlamp on. I'm ready. Give her her headlamp. Throw on my rain gear. Just look at Stephanie like, oh, yeah. No, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> I, we get our rain gear on. We get our headlamps on. We get all that ready. And we're ready, right? Well, along the way, there's another couple that kind of joined us, and they, had, they were not prepared. The, the wife, she had shoes on and a bathing suit. That's what she had. That's what she had. And so we befriended these guys, and we shared our light with them. We shared our light with them. So they each had a flashlight. I had extras. I'm an overpacker. Right, and so we started hiking out. At this point, it is dark. It is black. Imagine mountains, Pacific Ocean, right? There's no light out there. It is dark. I couldn't imagine trying to navigate that in the dark. Well, as we're hiking along, we come along a few people. I think there's three or four of them, and we're stranded in the dark, literally sitting in the dark on the trail. And I got to tell you, they were trying to, they didn't have any lights, they didn't have anything, they weren't prepared. They were trying to get back by cell phone light, and their cell phone died. <laughs> so you can imagine how thankful they were to see us coming down the trail with all these lights. And so um, they had an older gentleman with them too, and so there's concern there. Um, but we got to share our lights with them. We kind of split up all the people who had lights. We got to share that light with them. And we had a trail of, I think, seven to eight people walking behind us as we're walking. And I remember um, walking, just leading this trail out to, to the cars, right? And so I'd walk a little bit, shine my light for them, they'd walk. Walk a little bit, shine my light for them, they'd walk. Now this was, uh, this took a while, but we made it back. And I got to tell you, we made it back to vehicles, and you've never seen the people so happy, right, and so thankful and so grateful. We made it back. Well, I open with that because, of course, there's a lot of great illustrations there. There were a few people sitting in the dark, and we got to share our light with them. We got to share our light with them. And, man, were they, were they excited, <laughs> I heard a teacher say in the perspectives class that we took recently that the gospel in you is moving through you onto someone else. The gospel in you is moving through you and it's on its way to someone else. My wife and I are seeing more and more just how intentional we need to be with going to the lost and hurting and if, I think if we can be honest with ourselves, I think every one of us would acknowledge that we can grow in being intentional with that, that we can grow in going to the lost and hurting. 
what's our mission, right? What's our mission? Chad opened us, us up with it. Our mission is this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is our mission. That's his mission. And we get to join God in his mission to reach the nations. Let's go to Jesus. And let's, let's see. Let's go to Jesus. We're going to look at a passage. And let's go to Jesus and see what his heart was like for the lost and hurting. If you could, turn to Mark 9 or scroll to Mark 9, right? 35 through 38. Flip or scroll. We're going to be in Mark 9, starting in verse 35. I'm just going to read the whole passage. I'm sorry, Matthew 9. Did I say Mark? Matthew 9, 35. I did that during practice, too. I was practicing. I did that same thing. Matthew 9, sorry about that, 35 through 38. Here's what it says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's, I'm just going to move verse by verse, and you can see that in your notes if you'd like to follow along. Verse 35, what is Jesus doing in verse 35? He's traveling from city to city and village to village. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus here is meeting physical needs, healing, and he's also proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And in the gospels, we see Jesus do this, Jesus do this quite regularly. He's meeting physical needs, but he's also proclaiming truth. He's, meeting, he's doing healings and miracles, and we also see him proclaim that gospel message. And um, to me, if we go back and look at the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, the great commandment, let's start there. The great commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Meeting those needs of that neighbor. So the great, we got the great commandment. And then we got the great commission to go and make disciples. They're partners. They work together. It's a beautiful partnership. Meeting needs, loving your neighbor, and then proclaiming that gospel. We see Jesus do that. And it's a great model for us as well as we go and try to meet our, our neighbor's needs and share truth, the truth of the gospel with them. Let's go to verse 36. Let me read it just to remind us. It says, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep 
without a shepherd. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he couldn't help but feel compassion on them. And why? Why did Jesus have compassion on them? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They were lost. Harassed. Helpless. Imagine sheep in the wild, right? Imagine sheep in the wild with no shepherd. Sheep are pretty easy prey for predators. They have no natural defenses, right? And they're probably not the most intelligent creatures. Um, check out this video. I saw this on Facebook. Um, it's just a 45-second video. And I'll check this out, and then we'll, we'll move on. I love that caption on the Facebook video I saw. It said, sometimes Jesus has to shepherd me like this. <laughs> it's, it's true, right? So true. So true. But where would that sheep be without those gentlemen, right? Where would that sheep be without those gentlemen stopping by to shepherd them? Where would that sheep be? So Jesus sees these lost and helpless sheep. These fellow image bearers, the ones he created himself and just has compassion on them. I actually did a word study on that word compassion. And it's kind of interesting. Compassion can also be translated gut or intestine. Now that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like how does that work? Jesus had gut on these lost sheep, right? Had, had intestine. I think there's something about um, a pain that Jesus felt deep down. A pain Jesus felt deep down for these lost sheep. A pain in his inward most being, right? That pain in his gut, a gut-level pain for these, for these sheep who were lost, these people who needed a shepherd. So here's a challenging question for us, and it's convicting to me. When was the last time you had this kind of compassion for the lost and hurting in your life. That kind of pain for them in their, in their situation. Let's be a people who are compassionate. Compassionate just as Jesus is compassionate towards the lost and hurting. I'm just going to pray right now for that. God, help us to see people as you see people. God, help us to have your compassion for the lost and hurting. God, help us to hurt for those who have no shepherd. Let's go to verse 37. Verse 37 says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without shepherds. Sorry, verse 37. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. 
And Jesus shared this about, you know, roughly 2,000 years ago. Jesus shared this. And this truth is still true today. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. It's still true today. There are over 3 billion people in our world who have little to no access to the gospel. 3 billion people. A billion probably in China, a billion probably in India, and then scattered, right? A lot of them throughout the, the 1040 window, if you've heard of that, that Middle East area. Let's watch this four-minute video, and it will kind of show you just how true it still is that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Check out this four-minute video. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah, there are about 400,000 people serving across the world today, but only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. 
These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all people. So what do we do with that truth, that the harvest is so plentiful, but the labors are few? What do we do with that? Jesus says, let's start with praying. Let's start with praying. Verse 37, 38, here's what he says. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's just a few things I want to highlight in this prayer. First, Jesus says, pray half-heartedly to the Lord of the harvest. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry. No, Jesus says, pray occasionally to the Lord of the harvest. No, no, no. Of course, I'm making a point here of that word, earnestly. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest of the harvest, that he would raise up laborers to go into the harvest for his great name. And so it's that word earnestly. So the challenging question and convicting question for me again is, are you and I, are we praying earnestly for God to raise up laborers to go into his harvest to those people? To those people. Every every day at 10:02, my alarm goes off on my phone every day, and so something I'm trying to practice is I'm practicing praying this very prayer. And you ask why 10:02? Well, Luke 10:2 also has the same exact prayer. It's Luke 10:2. It has the same exact prayer, praying for God to raise up laborers to go into His harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I'm praying that every day at 10:02. I just picked 10.02 because it sounds better than 9.38, right? <laughs> That's why I picked it. So um, I'm praying this. I'm trying to pray this earnestly for the harvest. And I would invite you, Mountie Park Church, would you join me in praying this? Would you join me in praying this prayer? It's a 30-second prayer, right? Just wherever you are, you feel that phone vibrate in your pocket, and you just get a chance to pray, God, would you raise up laborers? to go into the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, laborers of you. God, raise up laborers. I pray this for in our student ministry. Raise up laborers. Raise up laborers in Melanie Park. God, would you help me to labor at my work? God, would you help me to labor in my neighborhood? Those kind of prayers. Would you do that with me? Can we do that even now? Could you please pull out this awesome device you have in your pocket? Could you all do that with me, please? Let's see what God does with this, with this prayer. Would you guys do that with me?
It's pulled out, set it for 1002. And let's see what God does with that kind of a prayer. 1002. Let's pray this together. It could be 1002 a.m., 1002 p.m. Um, let's just see what God does with that prayer. Thank you for joining me in that. So after um, the resurrection, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up just a little bit. So shortly after Jesus, um, shortly after Jesus kind of shares this prayer, he actually sends out the disciples. He sends out the 12. We see that, we see that in Matthew 10. He sends out the 12 to go and proclaim uh, the kingdom. And then we also see that in Luke 10. He sends out the 72 in Luke 10 to go and proclaim the kingdom. And after the resurrection, too, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. There is a sending that Jesus wants us to be a part of, right? A going. Jesus sends us out. So here's the challenging question. Is are you and I taking personal responsibility for God's mission? For this mission. It's his mission. It's his harvest. Are we taking personal responsibility? The church is God's plan A to reach the world, to reach the nations. And there is no plan B. So we're a hospital for the hurting, right? We're going to get a little practical now. We're a hospital for the hurting, and every hospital needs some mobile units, right? Units that go out and help rescue. Now let's watch this video. Let me see. I, want, I wonder how many people know what, what TV show this is. This is going to date me a little bit. But let's, let's watch this 45-second video here. Let's talk about this. Raise your hand if you have ever seen that show. Yeah. All right, I'm connecting here. This is awesome. Woo. All right, so um, I remember that show. I remember Hawkeye or Pierce and Radar. Remember Radar? And then that gentleman that dressed like a lady to try to get out of the Army. <laughs> remember him? <laughs> Interesting. Right? It was a comedy. Um, and this comedy, um, and the MASH, I had to look up what MASH even stood for. And MASH stands for this. It's a mobile army. Surgical Hospital. That's what MASH did for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. And these units were mobile units that were responsible for going to the wounded, going to the hurting. And they would take soldiers wounded in battle and surgically rescue and repair them. That's what the MASH units did. We actually see one of these MASH units in Acts 13. Um, we see the church at Antioch, and they had a MASH unit. Under the Holy Spirit's direction, Paul and Barnabas were set apart and sent off to proclaim the word of God, right? They were a mobile unit. 
looking to rescue the lost and hurting. They were a mobile unit. They were missionaries sent out by the church of Antioch, sent out by the Holy Spirit and sent out by the church. And we have, mis- we have mass units right here in, in our church, right? All the missionaries we've sent out, they're mass units. They're going to uh, rescue the lost. They're going to lost and hurting. Park Ridge Ministry, what an awesome ministry and what a great mass unit, right? To meet a young man and young woman or old man, uh, old woman, right? Um, right? Either there are, it can be all of them, right? And so what an incredible ministry to meet a person in that place, to share the good news with them, the, to give them, to meet their physical needs and also give them good counsel and then to share that good news with them. They're a mass unit. I was blessed with the um, a mass unit, a mobile unit of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It was a campus ministry when I was in college. Man, I grew a lot in, under that ministry. They were going to the college students on that campus. They were going to lost and hurting. First, uh, so I want to talk about being kind of a mass unit, going near locally and also going far. Going near locally and also going far to the unreached. How can we practically look at this? So, in your notes, you'll see, you can take some notes if you want. Um, there's practical ways we can do this. I want to talk about first going near. I'd want to encourage us to, to kind of see our family unit as one of those mass units. Your family has a light to share. Y'all have the gospel, and it's on its way to someone else. And you have neighbors who are sitting to the left and to the right, and they're sitting in the dark. How can we be intentional in those relationships, right? So here's just a few practical tips to go near. Hang out in the front of your house, right? You see night and day difference. Hang out in your back of your house. You don't see neighbors. You got fences, right? Texans love their fences. Um, but hang out in the front of your house. I learned this from the Landuskis. They intentionally hang out in the front with their kids, get to know the neighbors, play with neighbor kids. Man, if you have kids, what an awesome tool that God can use to develop relationships with neighborhood kids. What an awesome tool. Hang out in the front of your house. Just go for walks, right? Just go for walks in the neighborhood. Um, I know Hud and Lisa, they shared, or Hud recently shared with me, they go for walks in the neighborhood and they're praying for their neighbors as they walk by their house. I want to be that cool, right? Hud and Lisa cool, right? Um, we've also got to know some of our uh, neighbors that way and God's opening doors there for us to be intentional in those relationships. Um, how about just invite your friends who are far from Christ to whatever you're doing? You're going to the Stars and Stripes driving theater. Hey, come along. Come join us. Charlie Brown's playing, <laughs> right? Come along. Come join us. Or maybe in the fall, something to consider is as a family unit, you invite an international to be a part of your life. You, you go through the uh, cultural, cultural exchange program and get to be a part uh, of reaching that, that international student. Christ. Sadly, many of the international students that come to America to come to Texas Tech, they never even step foot into an American home. And we get to welcome them in. Stephanie and I have been blessed, had the opportunity to welcome a Chinese student to our home about two and a half years ago. And we just invite her to, along to whatever we're doing. Recently, the Cochran's invited us out to their house over Christmas. It was, it was Christmas Eve, and um, the goal was to eat lunch and shoot guns. And we, we pull in there. Stephanie's parents are with us. Our Chinese students with us. We affectionately call her Dodo. 
Um, and Tim's got a holster on. He's ready. You're like, this is going to be good, right? <laughs> it's awesome. Of course, Tim hammed it up a whole bunch. But it was so fun to see Dodo. We could show that picture if you don't mind. So fun. Dodo's holstered up. She sent that picture to her mom and dad. <laughs> She's so excited to be a part of that day. She's ble- beaming ear to ear. Thank you for this experience. She got to shoot pistols and shotguns and rifles, right? And uh, we just had a great time. Just had a great time. Uh, later on, um, what's uh, Michaela? Michaela Cochran, she said, well, this is like Mary Hickmas, right? This is awesome. Mary Hickmas. <laughs> it was a good time. But just the two of us, we just invite her along to whatever we do. And she doesn't get a chance to, um, she's, they, they can't own guns in China. So I said, Dodo, this is your chance to shoot some guns, right? I love this picture here. I'm teaching her how to aim. I'm touching that front target. It's not, hopefully it's not over, right? <laughs> I'm touching that front target, helping her to line up the two, the two targets, or the two uh, sights, yep, sights is how to aim. I'm teaching her how to aim. This is a great, I think, visual for what we're trying to do spiritually. It's saying, Dodo, Jesus, it's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. That's what we're trying to do. Then two and a half years of that, that's been sweet. I've had a chance to share the gospel with her. And Stephanie just recently invited her to a Bible study. Pray for her. She was pretty silent when we invited her for Bible study. <laughs> but just pray that God would do work there. I hope that works out. But we're going together. So do you have a neighbor far from Christ in your life? Invite them along to what you're doing. You're already doing it. Invite them along. Your workplace can be a ripe harvest field, right? Your workplace. And God has put you there as a laborer. God has put you there for, as a laborer. Be intentional in those relationships. Go to lunch with those coworkers. A great question that I try to ask at every lunch I do is, is, and it just kind of just hopefully shows love and care and concern for that person is what's been on your heart and mind lately? And let's just see where God takes that question, right? What's been on your heart and mind lately? Students, you have an incredible ripe harvest in your schools and on your teams. Be intentional in those relationships, students. Go to lost and hurting world. Do you have a hobby? A wise man once told me, all Christians need a hobby. All Christians need a hobby. It's a great place to get to know those far from Christ. All Christians need a hobby. So we've talked about kind of how we can practically do that going near. Let's talk about a little bit um, how we can do that going far. We're commanded by God to join him in his mission to reach the unreached peoples of the world. And I'll just give us five ways to reach the nations, to be thinking, to have God's heart for those who are unreached with the gospel. Just five ways. One, pray. We saw that here in this passage. Pray. We need people, we need prayer warriors praying for specific people groups who have never heard the gospel. We need prayer warriors asking God to raise up laborers, to go to China, to go to India, to go to Saudi Arabia, all these countries, right? And all these peoples. 
Also, we could be senders. We could be financial supporters of that. We need people financially supporting these missionaries that are going to laborers that are going. We could be part of what God is doing around the world, be part of his mission. We need welcomers. My wife does this so well. She's a pretty fine woman. <laughs> if you haven't read the back of the bulletin, please do that. But my wife does this really well. There'll be multiple days where I'll come home and there's just kids. Our five kids and multiple other neighborhood kids in our house played. Build such sweet relationships with the neighbors. And um, she has that welcoming spirit of, hey, there's internationals in our, in our, in our area. Let's invite them over. Hey, there's a neighbor far from Christ, same cultures, same race. Let's invite them over. My wife does that. She's a welcomer. And then you got a mobilizer. A mobilizer is someone who, who gets people excited, gets people passionate about God's mission to reach the nations. That's what mobilizer does. I feel like this is something God's kind of leading me into a little bit. Just someone gets people excited about God's mission of going and making disciples um, and gets people moving in that direction. God's heart. And then you got the goers, of course, those who go to the nations. We need them. We need them as well. We need those who are going to go across culture, live among a people, be Jesus among a people, learn the language, learn the culture, and then speak God's word into that and let the gospel do its thing, right? It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. I got a story just to wrap things up. Um, my wife and I had, um, we have a rental house next to us, and this rental house came up for rent. Um, and so we started praying. My wife initiated it. She's like, Bruce, we got to pray for that house. That's like our mission field house. We got to pray for the house. So before they even moved in, we started praying for, this, for, the, for the people moving into this house. We didn't know them. We never met them. We started praying. And um, got to, you know, they moved in. I actually helped them move in. Look for opportunities to do that, just help neighbors move in, get to know them that way. Um, and so it was a boyfriend and girlfriend that moved in, and um, we're, just, we're living together in this house. And so we, we just were intentional in their, in their relationship. He was into mountain biking. And so I, I like mountain biking. I'm an adventurer. Not, let's go. And so we got to do some mountain biking. We did some double dates with them. We'd come over and share treats with them at times. They would share. She was a good cook. She came over and gave us some egg rolls. It was awesome, right? Um, so we had a great time just kind of getting to know this couple. Um, and and later, uh, later on, we learned that they became pregnant. And so we thought, man, we have lots of babies. The Shubis have a lot of babies and a lot of baby junk. And so we got to deliver our baby junk to them. It was great. It was awesome. Here's our baby junk. So glad you can use it, right? <laughs> we don't need it anywhere. We gave them cribs. We gave them clothes. And just got to be a part of their their new mom and new dad and got to share that experience with them and hopefully share a little bit of what we learned over the, over the 10 years now almost, right, of having kids. Um, so um, when they had the baby, we even went to visit them in the hospital. Stephanie held the baby. Pretty sweet. Got to be a part of their life and just kind of continued in that. We'd even watched their baby at times um, and just got to develop this really neat relationship with them. Well, over time... Um, one day, actually, the, uh, the girlfriend came home, and we found out she was in a terrible wreck, a car accident. And Stephanie had the opportunity. She just felt impressed by the Lord to share the good news with her. And Stephanie laid out the good news for our neighbor. 
for, for this neighbor, right? And so she's sowing seeds. She's sowing seeds. That's what we're called to do, sow seeds. Um, later on, we actually invited them to uh, pick apples with us. We just invite them along to what we're doing. We're going to Idaloo, pick some apples. We, I noticed there was kind of tension between the, the two of them. And so um, I kind of wanted to check into that. So I invited my neighbor to lunch, and we went out to lunch, and I asked him that question. I asked him, what's been on your heart and mind lately? And he had a lot on his heart and mind. He did. He said, well, my girlfriend and I were not doing well. I don't know if it's going to last, and I don't know what to do with this child. We've had this child together. What do, what do I do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I said, do you mind if I ask someone who's got a lot more wisdom and uh, a lot of experience with this stuff? And he's way older. So I went to Todd. And <laughs> I got to get one in, right? <laughs> and Todd said, Bruce, before you can be concerned about any relationship, he's got He's got to know Jesus. That's the first relationship that he's got to be concerned with. You've got to share the gospel with him. Said, All right, Jonathan. Oh, sorry. All right, neighbor, let's go. So neighbor, um, neighbor and I did, some, did, some, did lunch. We went to walk-ons <laughs> and had lunch. It was his idea. And um, good food, by the way. Wow. And we sat there, and we got to talk. And I said, hey, do you mind if I share what my friend Todd talked about? I said, yeah, go ahead. So I got to just kind of talk to him about how he needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. I used the story of the prodigal son, and I emphasized the father and his response. The compassionate father welcomed home his son. I said, Bruce, I've never heard that story before. Where's that found? So I got to text that to him later. The story of the prodigal son, never heard it. Got to share that with my neighbor. Uh, weeks ago, I, I actually at that meeting, I said, hey, follow Jesus. Come follow Jesus with us, I said. And later on, down the road, um, didn't hear from him for a number of weeks. He called me and said, Bruce, is there a men's group I could be part of at your church? I need guys like you in my life. They're awesome. And so we talked about it, and we decided it might be best just to invite them into our home. So once a week, we were having them in our home. We'd have a meal together, and we'd, have, um, we'd do some discipleship stuff with them. We're doing right now media. What a great tool. Not a fan. That's what we did with them. And just we're starting that discipleship process with him, working through that with him, loving him as Christ did, reaching out to him. And so it's neat because we're still in this relationship with this neighbor. And um, he's moved to Amarillo now, but I think he's going to be coming back. And so pray for that too. I share all that um, just to encourage us and inspire us a little bit. Because I know when I hear stories, like when I heard how Shawa came to faith in Christ, she's an international student. And Jan and Linda just had this amazing ministry to her. That inspires me. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that mission, right? That is so cool. That is so neat. I want to be a part of that. Um, and so that's why I share this story, just to encourage us to be people who go to the lost and hurting. I just want one last visual. Can I get those students that volunteered just to be real quick? Uh, the students who volunteered, come on up here. Yeah, we got my row right here. I get to work with these awesome, awesome students. So if you guys could join me up here. Just a visual for us. This link arms. I was a student at the Kennecook Institute. It was a one-year Bible institute that kind of trained me for youth ministry and, and Bible and one day we had this awesome outreach to the students. 
And one of my friends, I was in, one of my classmates lost his wedding ring. Pretend it's out there. <laughs> he lost his wedding ring. He was throwing dodgeballs at some kids' heads. And probably this lot, the wedding ring probably fell off. And we we're in an open field, right? And so as a team, and you know, I've seen grown men cry over losing their wedding ring. So he was pretty uh, distressed. And so as a team, as a body, we went out looking for that ring. And we just combed that field. We just walked. Let's go down to one step here. Walked, looking for that ring together, tightly packed together, walked, tightly packed together, just looking for that ring. And our thoughts were, this is never going to happen. It's like a field that was this huge walk, step, looking. And then out of nowhere, this is really cool. Stay there, please. Out of nowhere, my friend Chris Lovacek just starts running. Woo! I found it. I found it. Woo! I got the ring. I found it. We all celebrated and rejoiced with him. What a joy it was to join in. Yay. Come on. Let's go. Right? Let's go. What a joy it was to celebrate with him and finding that ring. We all jumped up and down. I love his response. Just rutted. <laughs> well, woo! Let's go. Let's go. Right? Man, what a joy it was. And what a joy it is to be a part of God's mission to reach the nations locally here and also far with these unreached peoples. What a joy we get to join in, right? Let's pray. God, thankful for each and every person here. God, thankful for your grace and your love towards us. God, thank you for uh, your goodness. And God, out of the love and grace you've given us, let us extend that now to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our classmates and also to those who are far from Christ, far away. God, give us your heart. Help us to be compassionate people towards the lost and hurting, and help us to go to the lost and hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.